Welcome to Sisters in Stoke. I'm your host, Megan Burks, a certified professional coach specializing in ADHD and embodiment practices, steel mace flow enthusiast, and recovering perfectionist whose life has been guided, for better or for worse, by the motto, let's fuck around and find out. On this podcast, I interview women and those who identify as women who have done just that and whose honesty, bravery, vulnerability, and curiosity have helped them find their stoke, the thing that lights them up and has shaped their relationship with their body, their spirit, and the world around them. I share the stories that inspire me so that you too can find your stoke. Welcome back to the Sisters in Stoke podcast. I am your host, Megan Burks, and I am really, 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 really excited to be here today with Elizabeth Sneed. Um, Elizabeth Sneed, better known as Curvy Surfer Girl, is a surfer, model, and freediver based in Oahu, Hawaii. She is a fierce advocate for self-love and self-acceptance and works to increase representation of diversity in surfing and in life. I am very excited to be here with you today. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. And tell me, what are you stoked about these days? Aloha, Megan. Well, I am super stoked to be here with you right now and your audience. So thank you so much for having me. Um, There's so much to be stoked about. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the launch of the curvy surfer girl collection with Jill Lynn. That's going to be out in just a few short weeks. Yeah, um, It's going to be one of the most size inclusive performance swimwear collections on the market ever. So that is probably what I am most stoked about right now. We just shot uh, all of the photography for the campaign. And as I said, that'll be going live for purchase in the United States in just a few weeks. So uh, yeah, that that's probably what I'm most stoked about right now yeah and look what a brilliant thing to be talking about because if you think back to your life 10 years ago 15 years (laughs) ago 20 years ago if you know if this fairy had appeared and said Elizabeth (laughs) one day you'll be launching your own swimwear line and you will be a representative for surfing and body positivity like what would you have said I don't even know if I could have fathomed that I would live, you know, in Hawaii, much less all of that. Um, yeah, I, I think I would have like swatted the ferry with a, a fly swatter. Yeah, <laughs> like, it probably. would have just not been fathomable to me. <laughs> it just, and, yeah. And here we are. And I mean, this is the story that I really want to share with our audience because, as I shared with you, you know, I live here in Australia, I'm Canadian originally. So, I'm around a lot of surfers who have been surfing their whole life, right? They were the little groms and the waves. I imagine it's very much the same in Hawaii. You've got people that have been around the ocean their whole life. Um, And I'm also friends with, I'm part of a group called the Peninsula Surf Sisters, which is just, you know, like a women's surfing group. And we're just supporting one another. And there's a lot of women now coming to surfing in their thirties and their forties. Now you grew up not by the ocean, no the furthest away from it as humanly possible can get pretty much right so can you tell us a little bit about that in terms of 
when was the first time that you got to see the ocean? I know this story. I know some of this story anyway. But for those who aren't familiar with us, how does one go from growing up in, was it Texas? Yes, I grew up in extremely rural Northeast Texas. So imagine for as far as your eyes can see and for hours and hours and hours hours of driving nothing but flat land yeah in every direction of your life that was my reality it was just nothing but flat grasslands we call it the prairie lands and that is what my life was I was surrounded by cattle ranches and fields yeah um and then I grew up you know, about an hour and a half, two hours from the border of Louisiana. And so the ocean wasn't even something I could conceptualize until I was really like a teenager, maybe, because it just didn't exist in my universe of possibilities. It was something we saw in like textbooks and the TV, you know, like on PBS and National Geographic, but it might as well have been someone talking about Pluto or Mars it that's as far away as you know it was to us in rural little poverty stricken Texas yeah so my first cognitive memories of the ocean were when I was about 14 years old we uh, I was recruited by a local church to go on a humanitarian mission to help with Hurricane Katrina relief efforts and um, help rebuild the community. And on one of our days off from helping rebuild, you know, houses and schools and everything, we went to Dolphin Island to go swim at the beach. And this was right there in the Gulf. And uh, I swim out and I didn't really know how to swim at the time, but my friends did. And so they kind of peer pressured me to swim to this sandbar, which was about a quarter to half a mile offshore. And I make it out there, but on the way back, the weather had changed almost instantaneously from like sunny blue skies to the most brutal, ominous, dark, deep gray storm clouds. And we were suddenly trapped in a riptide and lost at sea and we nearly lost our lives and we watched a young teenager die in front of us and his body washed up to shore And we were rescued by a fisherman because the Coast Guard didn't see us. They rescued the other teenagers on the sandbar, but we were missed because the boat drove by us and just didn't spot us. And so that near-death experience left me with very severe PTSD. And from that point on, I pretty much didn't go near an ocean after that. Um, I would shake and tremble and like involuntarily cry if I did. And um, I just was terrified of it. That whole, you know, the ocean was just such a powerful, mysterious uh, body of water that I associated with death after that. And so it wasn't until I took a spring break trip to Hawaii in 2012, which was somewhere I'd wanted to go my entire life from a young child all the way up through an adult that that narrative changed for me. And um, 
you know, that's kind of where my story with surfing started. So that was a little bit about my young childhood and my first experiences with the ocean. Which is just like insane to hear that yeah. first, you know, step one, I don't live anywhere near the water. Then when I do get to the water, I almost died. I witnessed someone else dying in front of me, severe PTSD. And yet here we still are with you, one of, you know, the most recognizable surfers, certainly on my socials, very much a name that my friends all know. You know, I did, I name dropped to a few of them. I was like, guess who I'm interviewing this <laughs> surfer girl. And they're all like, ah! like, they're so, they're so excited. Because what you have done for women in surfing is astounding. And Thank you. I have goosebumps when you said that. That's so kind of you. Well, it's very true because there is very much, you have to see it to be it, you know? And there are so many things in this world that have been denied to women and they've been denied to diversity in bodies big bodies tall bodies small body you know there's so many things that we've been left out of or told that we should not have access to and now there's not just you but this community that you've built that are showing no that's actually just all complete bullshit this is completely a story that we've made in our head but obviously when you you know when you first get to Hawaii and you're you're revisiting this relationship with the ocean which has not been a great relationship so far. I'm really keen to hear like, because I know how I feel about the ocean. I know the pull that the ocean has on me in my life. When we went through the pandemic here and I was restricted to five kilometers around my house, I couldn't get to the ocean. It's like 10, 15 kilometers for me to get to the beaches where I surf. And it was the longest in my entire life I went without being in the ocean. And it had a severe impact on me emotionally. And the first morning that our first big lockdowns lifted, I dropped my kids off at school at 8.45. And at nine o'clock, I was in the water, underwater, screaming into the ocean, just like, oh my God, thank God I'm back here. Yeah. So how did you work through, because I'm obviously with PTSD and with the experience that you'd had, I'm sure you didn't just show up and like frolic into the waves and it was just a great time. So tell us a little bit about like what happened in that process and what was the, what was the sensation or the experience, I guess, this intuition that you were experiencing around like, okay, this is super scary, but it's clearly something that I'm being called to. Well, this is where we start going into what I lovingly call the woo-woo zone of me and the conversation. And I I mean, it's just, I call it woo-woo because it's hard to put into concrete terms. This is where we go into the metaphysical experience where, you know, human taste, touch, smell don't necessarily apply to the human experience yeah so they're growing up and and I'm going to try to put this in a context where you know maybe someone who hasn't um, been around the ocean their whole life can experience this through the audio of the podcast beautiful as someone who was landlocked their whole life I had never had the sensation of being really and truly totally surrounded by the ocean 
And when you come to an island for the first time, I don't really think it matters where you are, but specifically in Hawaii, it's very palatable. Hawaii is um, exceptionally influenced by the ocean. It is a volcanic island that is completely dependent upon the forces of the ocean and the volcanic structure of which it's built. And one of the first sensations I very distinctly remember is the sensation of the ocean pulling on the island itself. It's you know, difficult to explain because I don't think a lot of people physically feel that, but because I've been on, you know, surrounded by land my entire life, I could physically feel the force of the ocean pulling on the land. Um, it's, it's something that I could feel primarily in my chest and it was really strong and it happened every single day when the tides were changing. And how did I figure this out? I was being woken up every single day at the exact time the tides were changing. And I wasn't the one that put it together. It was actually the beach boys that identified the pattern. So I was in Hawaii for the first day and it was at 5 a.m. I would wake up and then I would go directly to the ocean and I would sit just beyond the point where the water could touch me and I would stare at the water. And I was mesmerized by it. And I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my entire life, but I wouldn't go near it. Like I wouldn't put my feet in it. I wouldn't go inside of it. I would just stare at it and I was drawn to it, but I was too terrified of it to go inside of it. And then once again, the next day I would wake up and I would literally be physically pulled out of my bed to the water at the exact same time the tides were going out. And then by like the fourth day, the beach boys had recognized the pattern and they're like, you're the only person showing up here on the beach at the exact time the tides are changing. And I'm like, yeah, I keep feeling this sensation in my chest pulling me towards the ocean. And they all just kind of looked at each other and they were spooked out almost. They were like, that's when the tide's changing. And I'm like, yeah, I can feel the ocean pulling on the island. Like I can physically feel it in my body. And they all just were like freaked out when I said that because it matched like all the tide reports and everything. And so one of them approached me and they said, well, why don't we put you on a surfboard and take you out? And I vehemently protested. I was like, no, I, you know, I nearly died in the ocean. I can't do that. This is a little bit beyond me. And they were like, well, you know, we're all really experienced, you know, and they kind of coaxed me and reassured me. And so I started thinking through it logically. And I was like, okay, if I go on a surfboard, that's a flotation device. It's attached to me at the ankle. You know, I'm going out with people who have been watermen and women their entire lives. They've grown up here. If anything were to go sideways, there's at least three or four different safety mechanisms in place. So, and there's lifeguards, you know, so I was thinking this through logically and I ultimately agreed and we went out in the ocean together. And of course I was totally having a panic attack through the process, but the beach boys were, they're funny, they're unique characters and they kind of put me at ease and I caught my very first wave. And while I was on the wave, all of that fear completely went away. And in that moment, I was like the happiest I've ever been in my human existence. Yeah. 
And that was when I decided I want to be a surfer and I want to live in Hawaii for as long as I humanly can. And it took me five years, but I never gave up on that dream. And I moved here and I still had a lot of rehabilitation work to do with the PTSD. So I found a surf school and the woman that I know and love today with every cell in my being, her name is Chelsea. She's um, my coach, my surf coach to this day. She was the woman who took me out after that experience um, initially in 2012 and began training me to become the surfer that I became today. And she's predominantly responsible for my entire rehabilitation in the ocean. Um, she has witnessed me have more panic attacks and more crying and freak out sessions than probably any other person in my life. And she has the patience <clears throat> of a saint throughout the entire <laughs> process. And she's the one who taught me the most about how the ocean works and how to process the fear and panic that would come over me, how to be relaxed in the ocean when a wave would take me and I would be tumbling, you know, how to control my surfboard, just the entire process. And of course, you know, this journey took me much longer than it would the average person that wouldn't have such substantial trauma. So it took me about a year and a half to learn how to surf because, you know, the first several months I was just struggling with extreme fear of being in the ocean. Yeah. I mean, we would just paddle out and I would have panic attacks just sitting there. I mean, what I would consider a ripple today would cause me to like, <laughs> yeah, just hyperventilate. And then I would cry and I would be gripping my board or I'd be gripping Chelsea and we had to work through that at an extremely slow pace. And, and then I was also dealing with the body insecurity because at this time the body positivity movement wasn't as strong as it is today. Yeah. And I was starting surfing at my very heaviest. I was in a size 18 body and you just did not see women in a size 18 body learning how to surf at no. 26, 27 years old. This no. was very much not a normal phenomenon. And Chelsea was also helping me overcome, you know, body insecurity as well as PTSD trauma in the ocean simultaneously. Um, and it was really through her guidance, strength, reassurance, and compassion over years that we arrived at the surfer that I am today that allowed me to grow and blossom to be a beacon for other women to believe in themselves and overcome their fears and insecurities to become surfers, you know, and, and build a community that we have today known as curvy surfer girl. Yeah. Wow. And it, yeah, that's it. And yeah. So, I mean, and it's very much thanks to her and, and, you know, she's a straight sized blonde archetypal female surfer. Right. <laughs> but I mean, and if you think about yeah. that, that's pretty ironic, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it, she is, I would say in many accounts, like what would be on a billboard today. Yeah. But um, it's because she believed so much in women's empowerment 
that it led to all of this beautiful movement we have today because she believed so much in me, you know, and, and I think that that's what I try to do today. I try to carry her spirit and her legacy into what I do. And it, and it's just grown and blossomed into all of this. And it started with one woman believing in me and me believing in myself and giving that gift to so many other women, you know, and I think that that's the power of just women, you know, being champions of other women. Absolutely. And we just, the way that women are beginning to take up space in the lineup and in the skate parks and in all of these areas that, you know, like I'm in my mid forties. And so back in the eighties and nineties, when those cultures were growing, it was all boys. It was all men. Right. And I've got a couple amazing guests I've had or are coming on the podcast who are, are women who learned to skateboard in their 40s or their 50s or even older and surfing, picking it up later. But, you know, there was a lot that you said in there. So first of all, finding someone to mentor you, especially with surfing, like surfing is a hard sport to pick up. There's a lot of stuff going into it at one time. I mean, some people, yes, there are always people that just like paddle out for the first time and pop right up and you're like, no screw you but that's not the experience most people have with surfing you know sure and so finding someone who can support you in that and be there and especially finding someone who you can talk to and be like I'm feeling really scared about this you know and when we look at PTSD a lot of my clients have trauma in their in their histories and it's always this judgment where you can avoid something or you can expose yourself to it in a way that feels as safe as possible right nobody would have blamed you for never going in the ocean ever again (laughs) right like if you had been like nope almost drowned not going in everyone would have been like yeah okay I get that you know that's and there's lots of people that don't ever go in the water because they have this fear of it or in your case you found the support person to help you safely start to work through that and something I find so interesting about surfing is that I can go out and do it a bunch And then all of a sudden I'll have a day where I go out and it's not like the waves are big. I don't really surf big waves. And I have the fear, the fear that kind of comes back, you know? And so when you talk about working with Chelsea and processing that fear and panic, do you have anything that you can share with people about like, if this is what you're feeling in the water, other than finding the support person, which is really important. But even on a day now where you paddle up by yourself and I don't know about you, but you just get that like weird funky vibe some days where you're like, "Mm, something Mm -hmm. feels a bit spooky out here in the water. How do you walk through that fear now? Because it's a bit of an ongoing thing for most people who engage in surfing. Yeah, it's still an ongoing thing for me. Um, I would say there are some days I choose to face it head on. Yep. Um, and it's all for me, the trigger is bigger waves. Yeah. Uh, that's always going to probably be my trigger are the bigger waves. Um, anything probably over five feet will definitely trigger that. Um, so that's head high for me. Yep. And so there are some days where I will decide we're not going to back down. Today's the day that we're just going to sit with the fear and we're going to go for it. And if we wipe out, we wipe out and we're going to deal with the anxiety and the adrenaline and we're going to breathe through it. And that's just going to be our mission for the day. Yep. Um, we're, we're just going to manage the panic. 
And then there are other days where my nervous system just won't allow it. Yeah. And um, it's knowing when to listen to yourself on that. Um, And you have to learn that. You have to learn your nervous system enough to say, okay, today it's just not happening. There's not going to be enough breathing exercises and enough mental self-talk to calm my nervous system down. And I'm just going to have to paddle in and, you know, accept that today's not the day for that. You know, there's either, either surf smaller waves or just cut the surf session short and go do something else with the remainder of the day. Um, I, I have to do that, you know, on various days where it just gets too big. Yeah. Um, but some helpful tips are a lot of self-talk and this is a psychological thing. Um, you, if you ever watch the series on, uh, with Chris Hemsworth called limitless on Disney plus, they talk about this a lot, the power of self-talk. This is backed by psychological research. If you tell yourself over and over, I'm okay, I'm safe, I can do this, everything's all right, just constantly reinforcing over and over positive self-talk in a scary situation, that will help bring your heart rate down, your nervous system, adrenaline response, your cortisol levels, just the positive self-talk. And then you have to follow that up with calm breathing. So in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth. And then, you know, you have to do body check, body scanning. You have to relax the muscles, starting with your neck, shoulder, back, hips, legs, you know, Um, and then prepare yourself, right? I can do this. This is fine. It's no problem. If I wipe out, I can hold my breath. I know what to do. I'm prepared. It's just water. I'll be okay. It's no big deal, right? You have to go through that checklist over and over and over again, you know? And then I think exposure therapy is helpful too. Yeah. One of the tactics that I do is sometimes I just sit in the big waves. Some, I mean, sometimes I just sit in them. I don't even paddle for them. Sometimes yep. I'm just like, I'm just going to sit and let them roll by me, yep. you know, and just expose myself to being with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I even let them break on me and just be like, it's okay. Yeah, if, look, okay. they can break on me and I'm not going to drown. They can break on me and I'm not, nothing bad's going to happen to me. You know, like, look, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, so just kind of giving myself different forms of exposure therapy. And sometimes I bring someone out and I'm just like, please sit with me. Like I might shake, I might cry, but just help me by being with me and letting me go through the nervous system processes that are going to happen. And Chelsea does that with me extremely well because she's been with me for years and she yeah. knows that that's, your that's process. Like, like that's part of it, right? Like yeah. when I get really overstimulated, I cry because my nervous system is in a shock system. So just know that like, if you are really afraid that those are normal things that you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, also be okay with just cutting your session short. Yeah. I do that too. If it's too big for me or I'm just, my nervous system is overstimulated. I'm fine with going in Yeah, and just not surfing. It's like, that's okay too. Yep. And just learning to trust yourself in that process of learning when to push and when to back off. 
yeah. is, is so important. And so, so you're surfing, you're loving it. It's great. How did Curvy Surfer Girl start? So deciding to start the Instagram and the social media. Um, and I've heard you speak to this before. And, you know, it went from quite a small following to quite a large following now in a relatively short amount of time. So what was that like for you deciding, okay, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to start to share this with other people? Well, I went from trying to convince myself that in order to be a surfer and an athlete, I had to lose weight. That yeah. was the narrative over and over for years of my life. Um, and then one day I paddled out after I'd lost my job. I'd said this, you know, I kind of pleaded with the ocean to help me find a way to be of service to others while being able to be in the ocean. And that same day when I got out of the ocean, the concept of curvy surfer girl essentially was gifted to me. That, and that's really my interpretation of this. And it will forever be my interpretation. It was a gift from the ocean. Yeah. Um, and it was the epiphany because the body positive movement at this time had just started peaking. Um, it was on an upswing. But I was only seeing women in fashion swimsuits and lingerie. Yep. And this was the predominant, sorry, my, all of my technology here is like losing its battery life and I'm trying to manage that. Um, so the body positive movement was predominantly, uh, women in fashion lingerie and swim. And I was just, I was exposed to it and I was liking it and I was enjoying it. But at the same time, I was like, this is getting old. It's the same thing. It's like women in string bikinis and women in lingerie. And finally, when I had this epiphany, the day I'd got out of the water and I'd said that little prayer to the ocean, I was like, well, why can't we do body positivity with athletes? And then I was like, well, why can't we do body positivity with surfers? And then I was like, why can't I be the Ashley Graham of surfing? Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, well, what would I call it? And in that moment, I was like, why don't I call it curvy surfer girl? But then I got really, really scared. And I was like, but what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not a good enough surfer? What if I'm not curvy enough? What if, you know, this is just a dumb idea? Who am I to be an influencer? I mean, influencers are like these big deals and you know, they have photographers and they have these followings. And what if people don't take me seriously because I've only been surfing for three years and you know, I just, oh, I was flooded with all of this fear and insecurity. And I was just like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. And then I'm like, <laughs> I, I just was like, I don't know if I can actually follow through with this. <laughs> but then I talked to Chelsea and I talked to my best friend and I talked to all these people and they were like, you know, Elizabeth, if you don't do it, eventually someone else will do it. It may take years but someone else will eventually do it, you know, like at some point, if it's not you, who, you know, why, why can't it be you? Why, yeah. why can't you be the Ashley Graham of surfing? And I kept giving all these excuses and 
And then I finally was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't have a job. I don't have anything better to do. I'm just going to go for it. And I hired um, a surf photographer and I formulated an entire strategy and I researched the entire market and I did all my due diligence and I launched it. And within 90 days, it had 10,000 followers. Yeah. Which is and huge. in two and a half years, it's at what it is now, which is a combined total of a quarter of a million followers. Yeah. Yeah. And this it's, is, and it's truly remarkable. Yeah. And it is truly remarkable. And I think that, you know, this is very much a both and in that you did that research and you applied those skills and the marketing and you thought about what, you know, what do I need to promote this and to make it a success? And it landed at a time when it was so badly needed, because like you said that, you know, and so many of us have the experience I've spoken on other episodes of the podcast that my experience with my own body was all about aesthetics for the longest time. You know, how do I look, how lean I am, whatever. And then eventually it shifted to performance, which was great until I hit my forties and suddenly couldn't expect the same levels of performance from my body all the time. And so, you know, I swung, swung to that extreme and now you come back to the middle kind of thing. And it's about all of those things. But that was very much the body positivity movement in the beginning was seeing larger bodies, which was great, but seeing them in these like sexy boudoir photo shoots, which is fantastic. But I want to see people doing yoga. I want to see them popping up on a surfboard because, and you've spoken to this on your social media, there are considerations for larger bodies when we do certain sports, there are certain movements that can be more challenging. That being said, there's certain movements that are more challenging if you're not as flexible or if you're tall or if you're, you know what I mean? So it's it's really working within our body's capabilities. But to see people as an example and sharing how they do these things and how they're dealing with this constant criticism and knowing that all of that is so deeply resonant for your audience. And what's so beautiful for me, you know, as a surfer, everybody has that first wave story. You know, like my first wave, as far as I was concerned, I wrote it for like five hours and it was, you know, it it was like 20 seconds, but it was one of the times in my life, which is rare for me because I have ADHD that everything around me just like fell away. Yeah. And it was, I think that's such a common experience. It's like time stops. Yeah. Right. Cause you're in the flow state. So it's that real, like it really triggers those elements of like time distortion and just like, it's very, it was very ethereal for me. Like I felt like I was having like a psychedelic trip or something. It was just incredible. Um, But to know that when I look at your page, especially and with your messaging and things is that even for women who don't want to be surfers to see this example, just of women pursuing their greatest joys in life without being concerned about how it looks or what they're going to say. But also I know, cause you've spoken to this as well. And I'd really like to hear more about this. How do you cope with the asshole? Because there are assholes and social media is like the wild west when it comes to comments and trolls and people just being nasty. Now, I personally don't see a lot of it on your page because that's obviously, I'm sure it's being managed. Mm-mm. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it's being managed. It's, it's all fine. women. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a 94% female audience is how it's being managed. Yeah. I do not market anything to men. Yeah. No, there's, I try to let as few men as humanly possible on Curvy Surfer Girl as I can. Yeah. I mean, it's technically a public page. Yeah. So, I mean, men can find it, but everything I do in my human power is for women and yeah. for women to find it and for women to engage with it, yep. not men. If men were on Curvy Surfer Girl, this would be an entirely different platform. Yeah. I, you probably wouldn't have even found me. Probably not. You know, and or I, I, I had to do that from day one. Like that had to be my mission from day one. If I didn't do that from the like first minute I started Curvy Surfer Girl, the whole platform would not be what it is today. I had to make it a women-based community and I had to target women as best as I possibly could. And I did all of that groundwork in the first six months to the first year I built the platform. And that was yeah. all extremely strategic. That's why when people are like, you know, if I ever post anything that's ever interpreted as quote unquote sexy, it's like, it's not for men. No, it's no not. Nothing I have ever done is for men ever. Yeah. It's everything I have ever done, ever posted is for women. Like yeah. any part of my body I show, anything I do is all for the female gaze, for women's empowerment. Any part of my body I show in a swimsuit is so that another woman can see my body and she can see herself and she can feel better about herself. And she can say, wow, if she looks sexy or she looks beautiful and I think that about her, then I can feel that about myself yeah. and I can feel confident and I can feel beautiful in my skin because I saw her and I had that reaction to her and I look like her. Yeah. That is my intention anytime I post anything about myself. It's not to make someone feel bad about themselves because there are oh. so many accounts that you can go to where there are beautiful women, but you leave feeling worse about yourself somehow when you look at them. And yeah. I don't exactly know how that happens from a psychological perspective, but I'm hyper aware of it. So when I make my content, I always think about that and I'm like, when I watch my stuff back, I'm like, would I feel better if I watched my content or worse if I watched my content? Yeah. And I always am analyzing that and replaying it when I'm posting it, you yeah. know? So that's all very important to me. So when the, um, <clears throat> when the 10% of men that do exist on Kirby Surfer Girl come on there and they're like, oh, this is a thirst trap or you're trying to seduce us. I'm like, no, no I'm not. <laughs> this isn't for you. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's that's another part of just like why you don't see as much negative feedback on Curvy Surfer Girl because the target audience that this content is made for is reaching who it, it was built for. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about what we've built here. It's the community of, for who it's it's made for yeah and I think that community very quickly you know not just on your page but on some other pages I belong to on the rare occasion somebody does jump in there with a negative comment they're just like why why are you here yeah like you know and just you know 
I've given up on trying to understand, but certain comments I read online, I'm like, I cannot understand the process between having that thought in your head and feeling the need to type it out in a comment and share it with the audience. Like it, well, I was going to say it blows my mind, but people, people like to feel important. They feel very empowered when they're hiding behind their keyboards. We know all that. And there is, you know, there's, there's men and women who still tear people down to make themselves feel better you know? Well, with women, I definitely think that there's internalized misogyny. Absolutely. And that's a huge <laughs> contributing factor to why you see yeah. it in women. Um, you know, so that's its own thing. And I, I mean, I, I honestly, I have a lot of compassion for women in those situations because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you can only have compassion for people like that because th there's only so much you can do for them. Yeah. They have to be willing to go down a path to enlighten themselves, to heal that internalized misogyny for them to find um, grace for themselves and compassion for other people. Yeah. So with those things, I just try to send as much positive vibes as I can. And I don't, take it personally because I know what it is and and I think that that's part of not being harmed by comments like that from other women is just yeah. having an understanding of why they're saying they're it. making those comments or saying it um but then with men you know men that this is that's just millennium old yeah you know exactly I mean, you've got a powerful woman challenging the stereotype and the balance of power and you know that's disruptive and that's always going to be a problem for the established absolutely uh, societal standards right yeah. no matter who you are yep you know doesn't matter if you're a school teacher or a politician or you know a woman around the corner doing a project it's just if you're disrupting what the stereotypical norms are you're going to have problem with men yeah so, you know, for me, I just try to focus on my mission. If someone says something that's malicious, they're blocked. Yep. If they say something that, you know, is, is simply a disagreement, I don't block them. I leave the comment because I don't need to block somebody if they disagree with a statement. Yep. Um, you know, but if it's malicious and it's mean, then yeah, they don't need to be in the community and they get blocked male or female. It's yeah. that's just not needed. And the other thing is I don't want other women reading that and internalizing it either. Exactly. That's just another part of my personal guidelines that I have. Like if women are coming through and reading the comments, they don't need to be reading like, you're a fat whale that needs to die and you've got diabetes and you're going to have a stroke. Like that's not something that <sighs> people need to be coming to my page, reading, internalizing, processing, and thinking about even on a subconscious level when they come to curvy surfer girl. Yeah. So that just gets blocked because I don't want that ruminating on any level of your consciousness after you come to my account. Yeah. Beautiful. So. I mean, and that, that is, you know, what you just touched on encouraging women for me personally my internalized misogyny and my internalized fat phobia the last couple of years as someone whose weight has swung wildly between extremes for most of my life really having to take that good heart look at 
where I feel triggered, why I feel triggered, what are the societal norms that I've accepted to be true, even though I have no conscious, you know, memory of that, no conscious memory of choosing these narratives is, oh yeah, I'm going to accept this paradigm and looking beyond that and starting to understand that this is where we do have influencers like you to influence us not only to try a new sport, not only to try, you know, to look good while we're doing it, but to really be challenging us to think about our relationship with ourselves, to think about our relationship with how we move our bodies and why we move our bodies, you know, reminding all the time my movement clients, like there's pleasure to be had in this body. There's joy oh, to be yeah. had in movement. Like it doesn't, so many people come from this punishment, like you've got to earn it and you've got to, you know, puke and keep going like ugh, god yeah you know yeah to re-examine our relationship with food to start to look at it as something that fuels us so that we can get out there and keep like god if anyone's ever surfed i mean every time i go out i'm like oh i've only got two hours to surf and like half an hour in i'm like oh my gosh i'm so exhausted like i forgot how tiring this is you know um and to really be you know and this is where um i think people find certain pages for certain things and then watching this grow because I've been following you for a while so watching it grow into this community has been so thrilling and to see the opportunities that are arising for you in life now in terms of collaborations and things with this new swimsuit line like again if you think back to you know 10 years ago Elizabeth telling her like oh you're going to design the swimsuit line and it's going to because the thought to me of having swimwear that is both functional and fits me is amazing yeah. because all my cute bikinis are the ones I can only wear if I'm like not surfing because look, I mean, I tend to wear what right anyway, because the water stays pretty cool where I am, but also, or they're functional, but it's like the full body, like speedo has always kind yeah. of been this option. And yeah. so how did that how did that come about for you and when this opportunity arose was this like yeah this is the next logical step in this journey or were you just like oh my god what the hell is happening like I don't understand my life right now well I've been extremely strict with who I've decided to work with um and who I decide to put on the curvy surfer girl Instagram account and um, I should probably talk about this more on my page, but I think people one way or another probably know this because I'm so, you know, like I, I really don't have a lot of recommendations. Like if I was one of those influencers that would just do things to do things, I, you would see a lot more swimsuits on my page. And yeah. I mean like a lot because there's a ton of swimsuits out there for plus size women, right? I mean, there's probably you know, two, 300 brands. Uh, and you don't see that on curvy surfer girl, you see, you know, it's a very curated page. There's probably in the last two and a half years, I would say there's no more than 20 brands on curvy surfer girl. Yeah. And that's very intentional. Everything I do with curvy surfer girl is extremely intentional. And I'm highly focused on quality because I think about the Elizabeth from, you know, prior to curvy surfer girl everything i do is based on the elizabeth that needed the curvy surfer girl that i am today yeah Th this is my entire focus it's like 
the Elizabeth that started surfing in 2017, what did she need? And that is who I am building this and continue to build this for. Um, She's someone who didn't have a lot of money. She needed a role model. She needed recommendations and it needed to be good quality. It needed to support her. And she wanted it to be fashionable and wanted to keep up with the trends. So that is what I focus on. And if it can't do any of those things that I just mentioned, it doesn't even go anywhere near my account. Like if you send me product or you offer to pay me money to wear it and it doesn't meet certain quality standards, it just doesn't go on the page. Like I don't ever give anyone bad PR because what doesn't work for me might work for someone else, you know? So I just, I don't believe in bad PR, but I just won't put it on my page if it doesn't work for at least me. And with that being said, you know, I've been able to curate really good quality pieces that I feel confident recommending to the Kirby Surfer Girl community that if you're going to spend, you know, 50, 100, $200 on a swimsuit, depending on what your budget and what your quality, you know, the, the kind of quality that you want to invest in, you have options and they come in different sizes. Some only go up to an extra large, others go up to two and three X. You know, so there's a wide range of options for different size bodies, different needs. I've got what I call, you know, like the um, the sexy suits where you just go to the beach and you lounge and you go to the pool because some people, honestly, they need those options in curvier bodies if you're going to just go to a resort and hang out. Yeah. But then I've also okay. got my high impact. We're going surfing. <laughs> we're in real conditions and we can't have our boobs flying out. Yeah. Where are those options at? Where are they at in one pieces, in two pieces, in spring suits? What can we wear? You know, like this photo shoot behind me, this was the first ever corporate body positive photo shoot in the history of women surfing. And I did this with Rip Curl. And I told Rip Curl, I'm like, I need suits that women from a extra small to a 2X can wear you know, what do we got? And we came up with this campaign and everyone in this photo shoot can surf, you know? So these brands that I've worked with, that's always been part of my criteria is I need to be able to surf in them if I'm going to review them. And that's what I've done. I get a suit, I surf in it. As long as I'm not falling out of it, I don't have any mishaps, then if it goes well, I'll post it. I'll show what it looks like. And I'll say if it's surf approved or not surf approved. And then it goes on the page. It becomes part of my recommendation cycles. And through that process, I started developing relationships with brands. And then I said, do you want to do a collection together? And I've done four collections now. Um, September the line being one of my absolute favorites. Um, we, her brand actually didn't go beyond a size large. So I wow. I couldn't really wear her suits when we started working together. And I said, you know, I love everything that you do. Like, it's so aesthetic. It's so beautiful. Your fabrics are amazing. But like, I would love to be able to wear them. And she said, okay, let's do it. Like, how do I fix this? And so we started working together on learn, you know, she had to learn the anatomy of a larger body. And then I started giving her design recommendations and we came out with the curvy surfer girl September collab. And she went up to a two X and she's done great with that. And then that led to the next collab and the next collab. And then eventually, um, you know, I started working with Jolyn doing, uh, brand campaigns 
and then approached them about doing a collaboration for a collection and became a designer with them and helped them because once again, they didn't have anything beyond an extra large and their extra large was also kind of in the smaller of the extra larges. It wasn't like a true XL. Yeah. And so I began to consult for them and teach them once again about how do you make suits for larger, you know, bodies, a larger breast, larger arms, stomachs, hips. Yeah. How is that um, moving in an active space? Right. Because what also needs to be considered is not only do we just need the coverage, but how is it moving when we're paddling or surfing and pushing up and. Yes, exactly. So then we start getting into the motion of it. And that's another complex design that needs to be engineered and thought out. And so as I started consulting for them and we increased their sizes, then we got into, well, let's make a Kirby Surfer Girl collection. And I said, I said, well, let's not just make a Kirby Surfer Girl collection. Let's make history together. Let's make one of the most size inclusive performance surfwear lines the world scene so far. So we went up to a 4XL, which was inspired by my best friend because she's a 4XL yep. and she just became a free diver. And I said, you know, I if I'm going to do a collection, I want my best friend to be able to wear my swimsuits. And so she was one of our fit models for our 4X sizes. And that's how we did it. And no one in the surf industry has performance swimwear going up to a 4X. So yep. we're going to be the first one of the first ones on this scale to offer that, that range. Um, Oh my God. It's really amazing. So that's launching in the U S soon in on, I believe tentatively it should be April 18th, April 18th. Oh my gosh. That's only like a few weeks away. And when will it be? Well, do you ship internationally? Cause I know most of my listeners are in Australia. So they're going to be listening to, cause nobody here is doing size inclusive surfwear like that I, am, that I know of so I am hyper aware that <laughs> Australia is struggling with this and Europe and Everywhere. South America yeah so unfortunately JoLynn told me it will not be able to be shipped internationally but what I have said to my followers is I think that they should petition JoLynn to ask for the Kirby Surfer Girl collection to be carried in Australia because there is a JoLynn Australia and there is a JoLynn um, in Europe. So, you know, Why maybe not? if your audience can write to your JoLynn stores, I think it's a possibility that with, once again, community, yeah. it can be done because yeah. it's the same franchise. So I don't see why it's not a possibility if women organize and ask for the products to be available. I love this. Okay. So time has flown by as it always does when I get to talk to awesome women. So, you know, I'm always very aware of this. When I look back over the growth that you have experienced, which, you know, like I'm very aware of the fact I'm watching this online kind of thing. So it's not like we've been chit-chatting the whole time and watching it all unfold and seeing, you know, seeing you on the red carpet, seeing you in the waves, seeing you here (laughs) for this presentation, this ad campaign, seeing all these things that has happened. Is Is there one standout moment where the gravity of the importance of what it is you are bringing to this world 
has really kind of smacked you in the head and and just made you think like oh my god is there one one that stands out yeah I think when I went to New York and I was in Times Square Mm -hmm. um that moment was a pretty big moment in my life yeah and the press that came from that and the virality that came from that and just I mean, it was a personal moment. I don't know, you know, if it was shared amongst a lot of other women. I'm sure there's other moments, but like that one was a really big one. And the Kelly Clarkson show was a really big one. Um, Those two moments really stand out to me. And I think will forever live on as like just iconic moments in Kirby Surfer Girl history. Like going on the Kelly Clarkson show and being... And standing in Times Square with a surfboard and a bikini, you know, just yeah. because for me, the Times Square moment was, it was an extremely symbolic moment. It wasn't, I mean, part of it was, you know, like a a publicity stunt, of course, but, but what people fail to maybe realize on a deeper level, it was, it was extremely symbolic too. It was me standing up to the world and saying, you know, screw you. Like, this is my way of saying, look at what women are capable of to the planet and not just my body, but to, uh, to, um, consumerism, to capitalism, to the patriarchy, to all of these larger forces represented by Times Square that oppress women on a massive scale. You know, and it's just me and my surfboard and my bikini kind of resisting it and saying, you know, like together with what we love and what brings us joy, we can change that. And with time, all things change and it's changing right now with me and this surfboard and my photographer and my community. So that was a really iconic moment that had deep symbolism to me and I think will forever live in my heart. Oh, and for in the hearts of all your followers as well. And yeah. so surfer or not, I really encourage everybody to go check out Elizabeth's curvy surfer girl, because whether or not you want to get in the water or get on the board, which you probably will, if you go and watch a lot of the videos for me, being, you know, on the periphery of watching women stand up for the first time on your page. And, you know, all these women who'd kind of previously been told or previously thought that surfing was not for them and seeing them go through this process of recognizing that, oh my gosh, I can do this. And, you know, what I know to be true about surfing or, and I mean, other sports or other hobbies, whatever, but when we learn to take up space in any arena that we have previously been denied access to that there's a ripple effect and sometimes it happens really quickly and sometimes it happens really slowly and it can take years and years and years and years but you just start to think oh my gosh if I can do this thing that I thought I could never do what else can I do what hard conversation can I have what raise can I ask for what respect can I demand where else in my life am I ready to expand beyond what I thought was for me 
you know, and your page inspires women to think about that, to get in the lineup, to take up the space there, but also to take up space. It just in their lives, just in their lives, which is so exciting. So where can people find you? Where is the best place to stay up to date with everything that's going on with you? Sorry, I think we're, we got, we I think we've got a, out there. We've got a tiny bit of a delay right at the very end. It always happens this way. Where's the best place for people to find you? Oh, no. Are you there? I am. Can you hear oh, me? Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. I got you okay. back. I got you back. Yeah, good. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, and curvysurfergirl.com you can reach out to me via dm i respond to all of my dms on instagram and there's also a facebook page so really any social media platform i am alive and well um so yeah just reach out connect i respond to everything it's actually me i don't have anyone else behind the scenes <laughs> beautiful and um you'll have to let us know when you're going to come down under and surf some yes. of these beautiful oh, Australian please, If there's waves. any brands listening to this that want to sponsor a Curvy Surfer Girl tour, oh. I am there. Literally, anybody that wants to buy me a plane ticket to Australia, I will fly out tomorrow. Oh my god! Literally tomorrow. The universe is going to be conspiring. <laughs> oh, please. I yes. want to go to Australia so bad. It's on my vision board. I'm staring at it. Literally. Come in, the, come in the, well, I don't know. We get great waves in the winter, but it does get cold. Um, but I mean other parts stay really nice and warm but then there's more sharks in those places so but you've got sharks where you are so you're used to that um I am thank you so much for being here with me today this has been such a great conversation I've yeah as I told you when we first connected I sent you this like cold voicemail and was like hello I'm starting a podcast you want to be on it? And it was a bit like, you want to be my friend? And you were like, yeah, I do. And it yeah. was, yeah, I did a, I did a lot of screaming when I got that message and here we are finally, and it's happened and it's been really, really great. So I'm so stoked to be here with you, Megan. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. And I'm just, I'm so stoked to have talked to you today. You're very intelligent and You've done such a beautiful job narrating and moderating this whole thing. So oh, thank you I'm so much. Very for grateful. That. And um, yeah, I just, I'm, I just can't wait. I feel very proud of you, which is an odd emotion when you don't know someone, but like, I do feel that way about certain people where I'm just like, I just can't wait to see what you do next because oh, thank you. it will be brilliant and it will help people, you know, and that's, that's really what we're here to do, I think is to support one another. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to the Sisters in Stoke podcast. And I will see you very soon. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. Thank you so much for tuning in to Sisters in Stoke. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends. If you or somebody you know would be an excellent Stokes person, feel free to get in touch. All of the information you need is in the show notes. Until next time, I'm your host, Megan Burks, reminding you to find your Stoke.